This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, heard Sunday mornings at 9 on Zoomer Radio. The new AM740. The world doesn't need another sports show. It needs an awesome sports show. You're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Good morning, Naz. Good morning, Wally. Neil, the boys are back. Let's talk sports. Good morning and welcome to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour this fine uh, morning. It's very chilly outside, leaving Nobleton uh, the Nobleton area this morning at one degree, and we have uh, Lou Franceschetti in joining us today for, uh, with a uh, Wally being away for the weekend. But we have Wally on the phone, so we're going to talk about uh, a few things: hockey, baseball, football, all sorts of great things to come up. Louis, how are you this morning? Morning, Wally. How are things here? It is a miserable morning out there. Pretty cold, eh? Felt like, like snow this morning. <laughs> Wally, what's the weather like where you, where you are? Wally, are you there? Yeah, I just I lost the signal. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you. Okay, good. I just a uh, little bit of a lost signal. I just lost the um, last five or six seconds. Uh, you you, uh, you you last I heard was we're going to talk a little bit about hockey, a little bit about baseball, and. Uh, Good morning, Lou. How are you, sir? Mr. Rigobon, congratulations again. A great, great effort by and demonstration of the running game by the your Fighting Irish. Yeah, thank you very much for the uh, for the support, Lou. Uh, and since we're on the topic of college football, why don't we chat about that for a couple of minutes? Uh, I'm starting to get excited. Uh, you know, you you Alabama guys, you're so used to. Uh, uh, success all the time that it becomes uh, an afterthought for you guys, but certainly Fighting Irish fans are uh, are excited. Big win yesterday. We've got a we've got a Heisman Trophy candidate in Josh Adams, uh, uh, and uh, there is a uh, there is a path to the uh, to the college football playoff for the Fighting Irish. They got a if they can get back past uh, Wake Forest this Saturday, uh, their Wake Forest certainly could play a spoiler role, but then. The big game's going to be Miami uh, in a couple of weeks. So uh, all the Fighting Irish fans out there are certainly excited about that. And one one thing I do want to get, uh, there was another fantastic college football game yesterday. Uh, I don't know if you saw it, Lou or Naz, but... Uh, Penn State, Penn Ohio State, State. Penn State, Ohio State. What a game that was. I was disappointed because I wanted to see Penn State continue the run. They were number two in the nation, and... Uh, what a what an incredible game! It's, that's why people love college football. There's so many great comebacks. Uh, kids, uh, J.T. Barrett, uh, you know, 33 of 38 completed his last 16 passes. Uh, only downside to that game, I will say, Lou and uh, man, those Ohio State uniforms are plug ugly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, thank God they're only thank God they're only using those for one game. Uh, oh, I don't know who gave them. Uh, consultation on those uniforms. I think the ones that uh, Burt Reynolds wore in the longest yard were were, uh, were actually <laughs> well, better looking than that one than those ones. That's I mean, a, that's a, that's enough of Notre Dame for, for. Let's talk about uh, <laughs> exactly. Alabama playing LSU next weekend. 
And you're down to see that one, Nick. Yeah, well, I'll be down there to watch that one, yep. Yeah. Well, you know what? It's always been tough for me in stu- in, uh, in studio having to a, <laughs> having a go toe-to-toe with you Alabama guys. So, uh, you know, I've always said, Lou, uh, you got to call a spade a spade. Alabama's program's at a different level than everybody else, and it has been uh, certainly during much of the Saban era down there in, uh, down there in Alabama. But uh, you know what? College football is what it is. Upsets always happen, and uh, LSU's a rivalry game for Alabama. So, but uh, it's gonna it's gonna take a monumental performance and uh, a little bit of a letdown for Alabama to lose at any point in time. Wally, I was told one thing when I was a kid: everybody ties their shoes the same way. <laughs> So uh, I'm not counting Alabama being number one at the end of the year. They're going to go through Georgia. Georgia had a hell of a game yesterday. I know a couple of teams dropped out of the top four. But uh, there there are teams out there that probably scare the bejesus out of Alabama right now. And you're looking at probably Clemson, Ohio State, and even Georgia and Notre Dame right now are probably four teams that, uh, that really, at this stage of the season, that Alabama doesn't want to play. And, you know, I, w- I want to throw another one into the mix. Uh, don't count Penn State out yet. Um, they had a letdown in the fourth quarter yesterday in Columbus. It was a game I thought they had in hand against a very good, very, very good uh, Ohio State team uh, in the in the shoe down in Columbus. Um, so don't count Penn State out yet. It's not over for them. Well, we, we you have to have all the marbles fall in the right place or the all yes. the stars aligned. Because now with Ohio State, I think they've got the uh, the advantage by beating Penn State. They're probably going to have to go up against Wisconsin and uh, SEC or the uh, the Big Twelve uh, championship game there. And I'm not per- I'm not sure if there's going to be two teams representing uh, the Big Twelve in uh, in the Final Four. So uh, let's keep our right. fingers Look, crossed. Yeah. yeah, you might be right. I mean, there's a lot of teams that have a still have a roadmap to the uh, to the Final Four and. Uh, you know, right now, I mean, uh, what, what's uh, the Horn Dogs lost yesterday? Yeah, I, th- I think they're yeah. done because they th- they still have to go through Oklahoma. Yeah, so there's there's a, there's at least uh, you know eight, nine, ten teams that are still in the thick of it. So now it get November gets interested in college football. We get into the uh, into the conference finals, conference playdowns, and uh, you know rivalry matches. So it's uh, college football's at uh, this time of year is always. Uh, I take. Uh, I always look forward to Saturday afternoons uh, watching some some great great college football games down in the states. Wally, I want Wally. I want to get to to the World Series and talk about uh, uh, Houston and um, playing against the, the Dodgers. Dodgers. Yeah. I want to bring up uh, a suspension that took place, and I want you to comment on it, both of you guys. Um, Guriel was suspended for five games at the beginning of next year with uh, the racial gesture he made uh, towards uh, Darvish from well, the Dodgers. Uh, Lou, I'll let, you, I'll let you take a crack at that one first. I, I think it was an inappropriate gesture by Guriel. He was probably caught up in the, in the heat of the moment, but I think it was the, the five-game suspension at the beginning of next year is justified. You really can't take him out of the, out of the game right now because of where they are. You're... you're you're making the other 24 guys pay the penalty for something really stupid that he did. Uh, and we all do stupid things when we're caught up in, in emotions. You look even at the Doc Peterson uh, uh, home run last night uh, as Musgrove is staring him down, going around the bases. It could be a little bit extravagant. It was a 
great time of the game, the ninth inning. Uh, I want to see if there's any ramifications if Musgrove ever goes up against uh, Peterson again in the next couple of games. I, I got a little bit of a – I mean, I, you know, it, it's one of those things, you know, what uh, I think about it, then 20 seconds later – you know, I, I can argue this one both sides of the both sides of the fence, but I'm gonna I'm gonna argue it this way. This is the way it first came to me. This is my first reaction to it. It's it's 2017, guys. I mean, you know, I don't know what he was thinking. Uh, obviously, you, you, whatever you want to call it, a lapse in judgment, lapse in attention. He's got to know. You know, every single. Player and every single professional sports has to know when they leave that dressing room door, every single thing that they do from that moment till they go till the game's over until they go back in the dressing room, every single thing they do, somebody's going to see it. It's going to be on camera. There's fifty thousand iPhones there. Um, cameras are everywhere. So, you know what? He obviously wasn't thinking it through. But there's concept in this day and age, that is unacceptable. You know what? And I could say in this day and age, in any day and age, it was unacceptable. But you know what? We've evolved as a society, and we just don't tolerate this anymore. It's just intolerable, and you have to be, and you have to accept consequences for your actions. So, yeah, I, 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 per, I personally think that may, I would have done what I would have done. Okay. I can see the argument you're penalizing your teammates. You know what? That's just too bad. You know what? You know what? Teammates, you know what? You got to you know what? You got to accept the consequences of what your teammates do. And 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 that's a lesson learned. Would I have given them I probably thinking it out loud right now, I'd probably give them a one game suspension in the World Series and tack on another five. They're, you know, just to ignore it now. And say, okay, you know what? It's the World Series. It's different. Whatever. I, I, I don't. My gut tells me he should have. There should have been some immediate consequence to his action. One game, and then tack another five games on at the beginning I, of the next I, I year. I agree. There should have been a game, for sure. And I think that's. You know, I think. I think that's going to be the turning point of the series. I, th- I don't think Houston's coming back. I think LA's going to win the World Series now. Yeah. You know, yeah. You, know, you know, the bottom line on these things is, you know. Is it an isolated incident? Yes and no. Uh, it doesn't happen every game. It doesn't happen every month. But Major League Baseball has had, what, two or three or four of these in the last couple of years? You know what? You, you've got to send a message out. You know what? You know what? You do it in the World Series, you're going to miss a World Series game. Is it, is it me? Do I see more bat flips going on and that it's okay now to do it? It looks to me like everybody's bat flipping up there too. At the and, plate. And, to def- and to defend the player a little bit, okay? I mean, he he. You know, I read some of the reports. I read some of his comments afterwards. He seemed generally he seemed generally sorry for what he did. And if he is, and he and he made an effort to try and apologize to you, Darvish. I don't know if you accepted uh, the overture yet. He may or may not. Um, he seemed genuine that he wanted to apologize for it afterwards, and and it may have been out of character for him. He, he obviously regrets it. That's great, but at the end of the day, we're all responsible for our actions, and we all understand that there's consequences to what we do. And you can apologize all you want. That's fine, and that's great, and we encourage that. But at the end of the day, 
in today's world, that's completely and utterly unacceptable. Well, you're, you're absolutely right, Walter. And I think you, Darvish, has, has done the right thing, taking the high road uh, towards this. Uh, he's going to let his actions speak for, for himself. Uh, the thing that, that, that Naz just brought up regarding the, the bat flip, you look at society now, it is no matter whether it's the first inning, the first pitch, the ninth inning, the last pitch, everybody wants to mock everybody. And I think this series, uh, UL Prieg is, is the probably the worst guy about it by sticking his tongue out, dropping his hat and showing his blue hair, uh, making, a, yeah, it, m- making a valiant effort to, to grab uh, the ball out in right field and then throwing his glove down and then recovering it. It, it's, it is what it is. You, you've got to take it in stride, and, and it's more or less, it's like one player showing up the other by sticking his tongue out after he home, hits a home run or another guy does the bat flip. And I hate to say it, but Jose was the beginning of all of it. And the unfortunate thing was is Jose flipped the bat towards the Texas Ranger bench instead of flipping it towards his own bench. I, so, I guess what we forget in Toronto is, um, you know, you know, Lou, you played professional sports. There were hot dogs in your day too. It's not a, it's not just a recent phenomenon. You know that. There but, were, but we we did it at an, at an appropriate. You, we didn't do it after the first goal. I, I get it, but you guys tended, you know, and in your day, if somebody disrespected either the game or another player, you guys had a way of handling that stuff. That, you know, in today's world, unfortunately, um, how you guys handled it back in those days isn't necessarily encouraged anymore. Um, and, you know, and I, I agree to you. I think there's a, there's a greater level of disrespect, you know, um, hot, what we used to call it in our day, hot dogging, yeah. however you want to call it. You know, Jose, let's be fair, Lou, Jose Bautista didn't start that. Um, he, he was his was a reaction to uh, eighth inning, eighth inning, three run homer, and then they just come back yeah. off after and, and that uh, bad play. And I, and I appreciate in Toronto we have a different perspective about that particular play that they do in other cities. Obviously, not you know it's it's not a secret. Jose Bautista is not loved in most other baseball cities around North America for a lot of different reasons, and you could you know, and that's could be attitude it could be that particular incident in toronto because we were the beneficiary of that particular play we obviously aren't as critical about it but you are lou and uh, you're representing a view of how other people perceive it in other major league cities right well we uh i listened to buck martinez last night and he uh went uh, directly to the musgrove to the doc peterson thing and he said, even he even he came out and said it that in his heyday, in the old era, uh, the players would have taken care of that right away. Uh, you know that if if you did that to a Bob Gibson, a Nolan Ryan, a Sandy Koufax, all oh, these hard are throwers, you me? They, they would not have got out of that stadium alive. <laughs> you would never have done that to Nolan Ryan. Are you crazy? Right. That first that are first pitch the next time would have been right under yeah. your chin, and yeah. he said. The next one's going to be hit, is going to be hitting your chin. Yeah, but the interesting thing about baseball, uh, Naz and Lou, and you know, the interesting your comments on it. The interesting thing about baseball, and um, uh, and you know, hockey has changed. Hockey used to be the sport that everybody used to criticize as having all the hooligans and all the bench clearing brawls and all the fights and all that nonsense. We don't have that in hockey anymore. But baseball's got more bench clearing brawls than. Uh, 
in one year than we probably saw in the first 10 years that we used to watch baseball. Um, you're, you're, uh, interesting your take on that. We, we get it, There's a lot more bench clearing and, and nonsense in baseball than there ever used to be. Well, I think that's a topic for another day, Wally. Don't get me going on that because you know how, how what I feel about baseball players compared to hockey players, huh? They'll all stand well, behind each hockey, other. Lou, the hockey players have gotten soft and the baseball players are going around every time. That's every because time the linesmen stand in the way. <laughs> every time there's a little slight, you look at it, you look at somebody the wrong way in baseball now and, you know, 50 guys charge the mound. I well, mean, it, it's a, it, it, things have certainly changed in that sport. Hey, how, how many times did you, like with this year, or they were, with their go, the way their direction that they're going with the, the slashing penalties, do you think those are yeah. slashes this year? We should, uh, we should slow slashes from 20 years ago. Well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna find out pretty soon. Yeah. Wally, we've we got to go to break, but we have uh, Dennis Maroke, who's waiting okay. on, on hand to be on our show today, this morning. And um, we're going to get back to you after the uh, interview with Maroke and have you in in the last 10 minutes, okay? Can okay. you do that, Wally? I will sure do. Because there's a I'll, few I'll things I want to bring up that we, we weren't able to talk about, but... Just, just get Sebastian to call me back in the second okay, break. Okay, very good. Thanks, so we're, thanks, we're good. Talk to you later. Thanks. We're going to go to break and come back with Dennis Marouk. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville brought back the large five-topping pizza special for just $13.99 for a limited time. I'm whispering because the last time Pizzaville brought back this special, there was pandemonium in the streets, pushing, shoving, biting. So order now and order often and hopefully you won't have any bite marks when this is over. Call Pizzaville for the large five-topping pizza special at pound 3636 from your cell phone. Shh. There's an old saying, entrepreneurship doesn't build character, it reveals character. Entrepreneurs learn to trust a person by trusting people. The law firm Rigabon Carly understands this. They know all about entrepreneurs because they work for them. Every day, they've earned their trust. They know that when it comes to meeting the legal and business needs of entrepreneurs, good enough is not enough. Rigabon Carly, the intelligent choice. Steel's Paint in Woodbridge, an enormous 20,000-square-foot superstore that carries nothing but the best. Superior staff, superior advice, superior selection, superior everything. When you have a really tough job to do, they can knock it down to size. They'll show you how to get it done right, and because they only sell the best of everything, you'll get it done to last. That means superior satisfaction. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Woodbridge, the best. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Bond. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. There are two ways to argue sports with these guys, and none of them work. The boys are back, the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour. We have on the line former Washington Capitol and a few other teams, but predominantly with the Capitals, I mean, the Minnesota North Stars and a few... Uh, 
California Golden California Seals. California Golden Seals. Uh, <laughs> Denny is around. Dennis Murrock. Good morning, Dennis. How are you? Good morning. Uh, good morning, guys. How are you guys doing? Pee Wee, good morning. Morning, morning. <laughs> we got uh, a teammate of yours, Lou Franceschetti. Oh, my Lord. I mean, does he, is he shut up or what? Talks all the time. I had a good <laughs> teacher. Words in there or what? I've had a good teacher, Pee Wee. <laughs> You're a good man. You're a good man, Louie. Dennis, uh, yeah. we uh, there's a book out about you. Right. Briefly tell me about the book and what uh, what it's what it's all about. How much time I got? You got lots um, of time. Go ahead. <laughs> well, you know, I met uh, a fellow a few years ago, and uh, we started talking about stories. And then uh, he introduced me to uh, Ken Reed, uh, who everybody knows Ken Reed on Sportsnet uh, channel there. Um, and uh, we start talking a little bit more about things. He said, this would be a good book. And I go, no, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do a book. And no, he says, yeah, let's, let's talk some more. So instead of a, a lunch for an hour, we end up talking for about five and a half hours. And uh, and then we met again, and then we, we went again uh, forward with it. So uh, uh, we, we talked basically uh, a lot. Uh, the autobiography is a little different than any other ones because of I'm a James Patterson uh, book reader. I read a lot of his books and all short chapters, and that's how I wanted to do this book, 60, 60 years old, 60 goals, and, uh, uh, you know, 60 chapters, and it, it worked out pretty good. And it's about ups and downs in life, uh, you know, things that are, us players during our time were, were told that a lot of doors are going to be open. If you didn't stay involved with the hockey, there was very few doors. So it was a struggle for many years uh, regarding uh, post-career. And, and, you know, it just it took some time. And uh, I went really south that, uh, a few years there. And um, things, uh, things were pretty bad. So it's, it's a book about, it's a whirlwind. It starts off with uh, the first chapter, me being a captain on a 160-foot uh, cruise ship in the Gulf uh, going to uh, service the oil rigs. Uh, with Devin Energy, and then uh, and then we just kind of tie in everything else after that. So Ken did a great job. We worked together on it, and uh, so far um, a lot of reviews, and everybody seems to like it. Dennis, uh, you started off your minor hockey career. Uh, what, what I noticed was that you were with Markham Waxers, and then there was a trade with the Marlies. Briefly describe that, because Mark Howe ended up going to uh, – Marley's and uh, right. London got you, right. and you you weren't happy. You went, didn't want to report at first. Well, but. well, if Louis, Louis knows that, I mean, when you grow up in Toronto, the top teams were were the Marleys. Uh, I played my minor band of band of Marleys, and then they move. Then it goes right up to Markham, same chain, and then you go play for the Marleys. Well, guess where the Marleys uh, Marleys played? Played at Maple Leaf Gardens on uh, what Sunday, two o'clock, and practice there at times and saw the pro players and you know i was playing lacrosse and i got a phone call i just won the scoring championship junior b uh with markham waxers uh and uh uh mark howard was drafted by london knights midget A's, and marty howard was already playing for the marley's i had played eight games with the marley's while i was with the waxers and you know i got a phone call from frank vanilla jam and said uh, can we meet and i was ready to go to a lacrosse game and so we met at a gas station uh, i got out of my car and and go into his car, and he looked at me, and he said, how you doing? I said, I'm fine, ready to go to my game. And he goes, well, I just got some news for you. We, we traded to London. And I said, what? And I you know, kind of started crying a little bit, and 
And I said, well, I'm not going. I'm, I'm staying in Toronto. I'm not leaving my family. I'm not leaving my friends. And you make another trade. Well, nothing really happened, materialized. Bill Long and came down to visit Toronto and all that kind of stuff. So uh, I was just, no, I just leave the door. And, and two weeks before camp, I decided to go. I talked to my older sister, and she said, well, go try it. You know, if you, if you like it, stay. If not, you can come right home. And I ended up going, had ten, and, and I liked it. Um, so that was the three years. It was a trade. Uh, uh, Bill Long, first of all, uh, Frank Benell offered Bruce Boudreaux. And Bill Long said, no, he wanted uh, myself and another player. We ended up getting myself, uh, Larry Goodenough, and Steve Langman in the trade, the three of them. And um, we went to London and had uh, some pretty good years. But that's how that's how that whole uh, thing started. Uh, and, I, yes, I did not want to go. Uh, I did not want to leave Toronto. I think every boy playing up, uh, playing youth hockey and, and getting a chance to play for the Marlies is, uh, was a big thing. Yeah, Pee-wee, I guess a lot of people don't realize that back then there really wasn't a uh, an OHL draft. I think no. you were a protected player within a 50-mile radius of this right. city, and that's why the Marlies always had those powerhouses because they would really take the best players out of the city and right. put them on their protected list. And I can I can see why being a 16-year-old wanting to leave uh, Toronto, nobody wants to leave their home at 16, especially yeah. back then because yeah, it was really – you know, you're going into a home, you don't know anybody. You put in a billet, you don't know anybody. You don't know anybody in the city. Uh, and it's like, it's tough. It's tough to go to school. Um, it was really, really a frustrating situation. And, yeah, you're right, Louie. Uh, you know, they had that opportunity. I was playing in, in Neha, Northern Etobicoke, uh, and I was a pretty good player. And I got I got picked up by the Marlies. The manager came home and says, would you like playing for the Toronto Marlies? Well, that was great because they gave us equipment, too. And so that saved, that saved my parents a lot of money. So that was pretty nice, too. You mentioned about your dad a bit. and uh, yeah. Describe your father to, to us, please. My father was a very quiet man, but very supportive. And, and uh, right now he's struggling. Uh, he's 93 years old. Um, I saw him the other day, and as a matter of fact, my sister came in from Halifax. We went to see her. I'm They'll get together uh, the family on Monday, but uh, yeah, he's he's on a downhill slope. Uh, but he's at a wonderful year. He's, uh, you know, he, my mom was the one that said talked a lot, but my dad is was a supportive one. He'd always be there, uh, driving uh, drive myself to the game. They always came when I played in London. Uh, they missed very, the only games they missed were up in uh, Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. Uh, other than that, they were driving through the storm, the sleet, London, Kitchener, Oshawa, all over. Uh, while I was playing, I think that was that was the, that saved and helped me out, knowing that they were there and and very supportive. Uh, Dennis, you were drafted by uh, the California Golden Seals. Did you wear the white who were, skates? Who were, who were they? <laughs> who are they? <laughs> Remember the white skates. Did you ever wear the white skates? Oh, no, I didn't wear the white skates. Thank God. No, um, <laughs> they were terrible. And the and the yellow and the green too. That oh my boy, that was. We had we had one of the best looking colors. We had that Pacific blue uh, that the, like in San Jose has, uh, but that was our main color. Uh, I call it teal blue, Pacific blue, and the gold or yellow gold and the white. Um, you know, a lot of people like that uh, that jersey. I get Seals hats made up and North Star hats made up and uh, Washington Capital. A lot of people want the Seals hats, <laughs> and it's kind of cute. But uh, you know, it was that was a start for me. I mean, I got drafted by California, and 
as Lou knows, anytime you get an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League and get drafted to, or uh, and do there and get there, it's a, it's a great honor. Dennis, let's go back to uh, not when we were members of the Washington Capitals. Right, Obviously, right. I was up and down from the minors. Let's go back right. to your 61 goal season um, yeah. with the Caps that year. I think they were. You could pretty well tell that they were on the rise with uh, with Gary Green coming in as a coach, and, and the players going in the right direction because that that was probably one of the most misfit organizations back in the mid seventies uh, from uh, from my experience, and I bet you from yours when you first got there. Right. Um, your your highs and lows from that year, obviously your sixty one goals, but little things that that more or less uh, put you in the elite uh, top five top ten players of the National Hockey League at that, at that time. Well, thanks, Lori. Uh, you know, we all had a job to do, right? And, uh, you know, going in, getting in the NHL in, in California, moving the Cleveland Barons two years there, we didn't get a paycheck for a month. Uh, they told us that we were going to be uh, uh, put in a draft because uh, they, we weren't going to play a game. And we can talk about that. We did end up playing. And then, uh, you know, and then I was uh, two teams merged, Cleveland and Minnesota, and I got traded to Washington Capitals for a first-round pick. Uh, and during that time, we had to save the Cavs campaign uh, to try and save that team, and we did. And then we had a couple of bad years, and then they, they made that big trade, right, with uh, Rod Langway, Brian Inglum, uh, Doug Jarvis, and Craig Lockland, and we had to give up two good players, Ryan Walter and, and Rick Green. But that kind of changed everything there for the team. The year I had 60 goals, and uh, the year before that I had 50 and I had 60, and uh, 76 assists that year. Uh, you know, it's pretty much in a, a pretty good uh, company with Gretzky and Stastny and uh, Bossy and all those guys. And so it was kind of an honor, but you still want, you know, as we all know, Louie, that we wanted to win the Stanley Cup, and it was the first time we got in the playoffs, and we had to go against the Islanders, and we just didn't have enough. They were a powerful, powerful team. But, uh, you know, it was just a struggle the first four or five years of uh, franchises that were not successful and I, I got really frustrated about well what is this NHL all about and uh, so uh, then they started getting better and better then Washington started drafting so you know I think it's the, the whole thing is when when you get there um, you don't want to lose that job because it is the uh, you know one of the best leagues and professional sports and the game is a great game and uh, you know you got somebody coming right over your shoulder if you don't do well so I just had to keep playing hard. I was a little guy that was told too small and ended up playing 14 years. So I just I just kept plugging away, kept plugging away, and hoping that one day a team would either draft, uh, pick me up or whatever and I get a chance to win a Stanley Cup. But that never happened. I'm one of a lot of guys that have done that. I just want to point out to the listeners, that year, he, Dennis, you scored 60 goals, 76 assists for 136 right. points. Mm-hmm. You yeah. were third in goals behind Wayne Gretzky and Mike Bossy. You were sixth in assists behind Stastny, Savard, Bossy, and Trache. Not a bad group, eh? Yeah, that's okay. pretty good. And points, total points, Gretzky, Bossy, and Stastny, and then Maruk. That's incredible. Yeah, I, I look at, you look at that top, you look at the guys below me, uh, uh, Marcel Dion, uh, uh, Dennis Savard, uh, Yari Curry, uh, Dino Cicerelli, Bobby Smith. Yeah, you get out, you down the line, and you know, it's just like here's this little guy from Rexdale, Ontario, uh, Dennis Merck, and they're going, "Who? Who's this guy?" 
<laughs> so, yeah, Gretzky had a great year. I mean, he had 92 goals. And I think that year I had great line mates. We had a good line on Louisville. Louisville know that. But uh, I played with Ryan Walter and Chris Valentine. And Brian Murray kept us together all year, even though we had some games we didn't produce or whatever. And we worked together on a power play. Usually you have a unit in the power play. It's um, a couple guys from, uh, mixed up in lines. We stayed together. And, and it really, really gelled. And, you know, when you look at the top lines in the league, they don't move around. They stay together, and they're successful. And that's what happened with us when, uh, in Washington. So, uh, you know, I have to compliment those guys because you can't do it alone. Yeah, people don't realize that we had also Mike Gardner on that team yeah. that year. And, and I don't think you were line mates. No. Uh, and from mentioning the, the, two na- uh, the, the two names there, Ryan Walter and Chris Valentine, Ryan Walter was just a, a heart and soul type player. And Chris Valentine, I think, uh, most of the players nowadays can probably skate faster backwards than Chris can <laughs> forward. So right. But but You're Chris so had right. a Chris had a, a set of hands. He has just come uh, from the Quebec League and scored 150 points. He was on the half board and he was just he he was just unbelievable uh, in the offensive yeah. end. It's just unfortunate that back then, you know, he couldn't put the other parts of the games to stick around. Right. Right. But uh, we, we did have a good a good nucleus there of players to to build off of. Right, exactly. Dennis, there was uh, that year. Gary Green started the year, I believe, and he was ended up one and twelve. Got fired. Roger Crozier came in for one game, and then the coaching debut of Brian Murray started when you played. Describe Brian Murray, and Louis always talked very highly of Brian, but describe Brian Murray as a coach. Uh, how do I, I guess Brian Murray uh, lets you do your thing. Uh, everybody had a, a certain talent, and uh, he was able to coach that player and make that player better. I think uh, a big part of my success has to be because of uh, because of Brian Murray. I got opportunities to go out and, as I say, power play, and you know I didn't do penalty killing. That was not my job, and my job was to score goals, make plays, and and that. And 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 other guys had their jobs. Uh, checking, checking line, and all that, and and that's what he was able to really um, get the best out of each player, uh, what they were and what they could give to the team. Um, yeah, certainly, and I think that's. Uh, I, I'll tell you one little story. Uh, I was I played with Kenny Houston, Doug Jarvis, the left wing, and Kenny Houston. What we're losing. Uh, six to one, and and uh, Doc is his nickname, Kenny Houston, and. Uh, I, he said, I, "If I get another goal at 25, I get, I get, a, I think he said it was like a $10,000 bonus." And uh, so I said, "If I got a two-on-one with you, just be ready because I'm going to throw it over to you." Well, exactly what happened? He scored a goal. We had a two-on-one. He scored a goal. We work on cheering to the bench, right? <laughs> Screaming. It's like we won. I guess won the Stanley Cup or won a playoff or whatever. And Brian Murray looked. At, I've never seen him look so sour. Because uh, we were losing six to two, but we, you know we were just. He goes, "What are you guys so excited about?" And he goes, "Yeah, we just want a bonus for Kenny." <laughs> but uh, it was kind of a cute, it's a good little story. And uh, but Brian, uh, you know, got rest his soul, and he was a great man, and had a lot to do with hockey and the family. But he just. Uh, he gave us the opportunity to be who we were and um, uh, our talents out in the ice. Uh, and I'm talking not just myself, uh, Louis, you can agree with all the other players too that, you know, there was guys that, you know, coming up and down in the minors a lot from Hershey and, and, and things just where it was got kind of unsettled. And 
he was trying to find a group of players that could gel together, and he gave a lot of players a chance there. That a lot of people right now, if you mention some of the names, would not know. Well, it, it's funny that you say that because Brian Murray, more or less, uh, I got the greatest respect for him. Right. Uh, he put players in positions to to succeed, not to fail. And uh, I remember when I was with him the first year that, that I met him, I had gone the first. We just finished winning the Calder Cup the year before, and we're coming in, and we're all cocky because we thought we were going to get a shot with the Washington Capitals. When I come in, and I don't score a goal in my first 27 games, uh, and for sure I thought it was going to end up in the Colonial, in the Colonial Hockey League, which was one step below the American League that year. I ended up scoring 32 goals that year. So he had enough confidence in me and putting me in the proper right. uh, position. But then right. when I got called up, he knew my offensive uh, production in the minor leagues, but he also knew what I could add in the National League. And, I says, and he put me in situations that I could not fail. He put me in a line with Bobby Carpenter and Mike Gardner at the time, and, and I just couldn't fit in. So what he did, he says, okay, Lou, you got to go a different direction. Unless you want to go down to the Myers, you got to go down to the third and fourth line and work your ass off, uh, if I can say that word. Right. But I, I changed my game according to for me to succeed to make the, the team a lot better. And that's where I became the player that I was known to be, a, a guy that caused a little bit of emotion. But again, Brian put me in a situation yeah. to succeed. And then whenever he needed a winger to play on that first or second line, right. I could do it yeah. for three or four games. I just couldn't do it over a span of 80 games. But, you know, he, he's done so much. You look at what he did in Florida. You look at what he did in Anaheim. And look what he did in Ottawa. It's, it's just phenomenal. Uh, and he, the thing with Brian, he communicates with everybody. Well, and yeah, Louis, you know, you're exactly right. But I think that you got to pat yourself on the back for the way you, you know, a lot of, a lot of players can will accept that and uh, that different role and different situations. And then a lot of players, they can't accept that. And then their they're the game just falters. And guess where they end up? They go back down to the minors, or they they go like they were traded or let go. So, Louis, pat yourself on the back because you did a wonderful job uh, there in Washington and, and the NHL. So, uh, you know, you you weren't a goal scorer, but you were a strong checker, and you you played you played the role that you had to play, and you and you learned it quickly because otherwise you wouldn't have stayed. Maybe it's time to write a book about Louis. Eh? Oh, That'd be a beauty too. Hey, I'll do a hill to talk about baseball. Hey, yeah, that's it. Let's talk about baseball. I can't beat him on that. He knows everything about baseball. Hey, he's a Yankee fan. Oh, wow. Well, I'm a Blue Jay fan, but I'm also a Yankee fan, too. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So. The, the title of the book is The Unforgettable Story of Hockey's Forgotten 60-Goal Man, Dennis yes. Marook. Yes. Where can we get this book? You can get this book at Amazon.ca uh, and Amazon.ca. Uh, dot com in the states uh it's in all the stores uh and then uh uh chapters it's uh it's pretty much all over i know it's in winnipeg i, I did an interview the other day they've got the stores there so it's uh it's a great read a uh, great message uh my my personal uh things are in there but uh as i said earlier uh, a lot of people enjoy the book and it's a message about uh, post-career i mean players uh you know and you got to respect who loves you and uh, you got to respect yourself, and you got to realize that uh, you know there's there's kids and people out there that are struggling in their life, and uh, <clears throat> and when you're having a bad day, just think of them, and and then uh, you move on, forget about it, and move on, and and pick your pick the pieces up in yourself. But the the message is just to uh, you know take care of yourself, uh, respect who loves you, and, and respect yourself. Dennis, on the lighter side of things here, 
You had probably the greatest Fu Manchu restaurant in all of sports and all of history. How did that come about, and how come you let it grow as bad as you did? How, how come I let what? Did my Fu Manchu grow? Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, it's in the story. It's in the book. Uh, I, uh, I And it's a baseball player. And, and at, um, I was watching TV, and there's this pitcher, a relief pitcher, Kansas City Royals. Al Habrowski. Habrowski. Oh, Habrowski. Yeah. Remember him, the mad Hungarian. Yeah, yeah. the taunt on the, at the, on the mound. That yeah. pitcher mound and stomping, going crazy. And I go, and then I see he's got the Fu Manchu. I go, that's me. I gotta, I gotta keep that. And and that's how it's in the book. And all. that's how how I did. And that's just uh, people say I look tough and gruff. And I know Louie, you can uh, attest to that. That I had, I, I didn't back down from anybody. I hit. And, and did all that stuff because uh, I was I was beaten up. I was abused. I wasn't a fighter. I had I had a few guys behind my back helping me out, like uh, Mr. Willie Platt and a few other guys. But uh, you know, I've had my fights and stuff like that. But my job was uh, was to produce. But you still had to hit. Our game during that time was survival, and Louis will agree to that. And uh, especially for me. But uh, today it's more wide open. Yeah, we 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 had to take care of ourselves back then. Plus. Uh... You weren't known as an angel either. That's why they call you Little Rat. <laughs> Thanks, Lloyd. No, I wasn't no way. No way. No way. And I learned that. You know, I had, I had all those great points and great, you know, most right report, player award, and, and uh, a lot of nights with the OHL and all that. And But I met after the uh, Dave Hutchinson's first year, and we had a golf tournament in London, and um, he sat down, and I just asked him, what, what's it like in the NHL? And he says, it's just tough and it's real hard. You got to play hard. And I said, "Well, I'm going." He says, "You can score goals, you can make plays, you can do all that, but you got to be a prick out there." Yeah. And I go, "Okay, excuse my expression, but that's exactly what he said." And um, I did that. I went to camp. I was hitting guys um, uh, on my own team, and the coaches are going, well, "Who is this Merv kid?" You know, and um, you know he's he's hitting, and and that's what I had to do, and I continued doing that through my whole career and I it gave me some it gave me respect it gave me room to create things uh and then uh and one day I'm facing off against Mr. Wayne Gretzky and and he looked at me and he goes you don't need to do that hitting or fighting <laughs> just because you got you're, you're a playmaker you can score and you don't need to hit and I looked at him and I said well are you gonna start fighting now yeah Wayne Gretzky I fight changed my game and he certainly wasn't gonna change his game so I'll that got me there. That helped me, and that's uh, that's what it was. So thanks for the, the nice compliments, too, Louis. Dennis, thanks very much for the interview. It was a great time, and hopefully, hopefully you had a great time with us. And no, I, uh, Ken, I, Ken Reed's a real professional. I know Ken. Uh, you know, and he, yeah, yeah, and he's uh, he's quite the guy. Yeah. You got the right guy writing the book. That's for sure. Yeah, that would with this book wouldn't have been um, come out like it was. It wasn't for Ken Reed. We worked together. But, uh, you know, we kind of finalized everything and uh, went at each other's heads. But th- there's no way this book would have been uh, written the way, uh, way it was with uh, the way he did it. Thanks, Dennis, and uh, have a good day, okay? Okay, Louis, you too. Pee-wee, hey, take care of yourself. Say hi to everybody for right. me. Bye-bye. That was Dennis Marouk, the unforgotten 60-goal man. Really unforgotten. Uh, he, people don't realize he was a, quite, a, quite, a, quite a goal scorer. He was he a great player. offensive player. He played, uh, well, back then, you didn't have to play all ends of the ice, but around the net, uh, and he, like the game was, it was a survival game, especially as small as he was, and as big as some of the defensemen were. It's not like 
nowadays where you're not allowed to hit anybody, you had a two-hander coming across he, your back, he, he, and, and he, he got in and out and out of trouble, and, and he stood there and took his uh, took the crap that he had to to score all the goals. Like, he wasn't a goal, a goal, 60 goals. You'd think that most of the goals were scored on the perimeter, not with Dennis. He, he had uh, the ones off his rear end, and, uh, but he stuck his nose in there, and uh, I think that's what uh, a lot of players respected about him uh, around the whole league. I wonder how many guys with uh, how many goals he'd score in today's hockey. He'd be uh, he'd be up there like with Kucherov, I think something something. Yeah, like that. I, I, you're you're absolutely right, with, especially with the way the game has gone and you extend the uh, expand the the blue lines. Uh, uh, you know, he was he was just a great offensive player. We're going to go with a break, and we'll be back after the commercial break. It was a rainy day when Pizzaville realised that people may not know how many different kinds of ponzos Pizzaville makes. You can go Italian if you like a sausage. You can go Hawaiian if you like ham and pineapple. And you can go Canadian if you like bacon, beer and hockey. We can build a ponzo that speaks your language, no matter where you are from. Call Pizzaville at 736-3636. Or visit pizzaville.ca. At Titanium Logistics, we believe that choosing the right shipping company comes down to two issues, price and cost. Most prices are competitive, will likely save you money too. But the cost of choosing the wrong company to service your cross-border freight to and from the U.S. and Mexico can be extraordinary. If it's not where it should be, when it should be, that bargain price, worthless. Titanium Logistics, on time, on budget. Call 905-266-3014. Ask for Blair Downey. At 20,000 square feet, Steel's Paint and Woodbridge is Canada's largest independent paint store. Big deal, right? Big deal? Yes. The best brands, the best staff, the best advice, the best of everything. From color matching to brand selection, whether you're a pro or a DIYer, we'll look after you from the minute you walk in to the minute you walk in a second time as a completely satisfied customer. Big store, big deal, bigger satisfaction. Simple. Steel's Paint, 4190 Steel's Avenue West in Wood. Bridge. This is Daryl Sittler for Alta Infinity and Vaughn. I've worked with some pretty great teams over the years, and the staff at Alta ranks among the very best. Expert sales, superior service, and the largest selection of Infinity cars and SUVs in Canada, and the most competitive pricing anywhere. It's no wonder that Alta has been an all-star performer for well over a decade. Visit AltaInfinityWoodbridge.com, or better yet, drop by the number 7 Auto Mall at the corner of Martin Grove and Highway 7. Experience the difference that makes Alta Infinity the captain's choice. The Naz and Wally Sports Hour is a paid program. Opinions expressed on the show are those of Naz and Wally and their guests. From face-offs to playoffs, field goals to own goals, you're listening to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour on Zuma Radio. Welcome back to the Naz and Wally Sports Hour, and we have uh, Wally back on the air. Wally, did you hear any of the Amurkia interview? I heard most of it. Great interview, guys. That was uh, really, really well done. Uh, Dennis Maruk, you know, Naz, you remember you and I spent a lot of time in, uh, in Junior A rinks in, uh, in the mid-70s in our, in our younger days. And some of the rinks he talked about, Oshawa, you know, uh, London, uh, Kitchener, uh, Maple Leaf Gardens in those days, the Hamilton Barn. We spent uh, we spent a little bit of time and then uh, he brought back great memories about Dennis Marouk. Uh, certainly, the you know they, they talk about as being the forgotten. I don't. I you and I both remember how good of a player he was. He's certainly in my mind not forgotten. 
And you brought up some really fascinating stats that I had forgotten as good work. Uh, Incredible. You know, how, yeah, that, uh, you know, he was right up there with the top players in the game, 136 points. Uh, you know, maybe a lot of people have forgotten that, and it's good that uh, you dug those stats up and reminded me and a lot of our listeners how how, how a really good player Dennis Maruk was. So, yeah, it was Lou Naz, uh, great interview. It was, it was certainly a pleasure listening to it. <laughs> so are you, are you going to end up writing the book for Louie here or what? Well, I, you know what? Uh, you know, you, you know, Lou and I, you know, we're going to have some. We're going to Louie and I are going to have a discussion this week. Uh, you know, Lou, maybe maybe there is a book residing within you. Uh, so we're we're going to we're going to chat about that. Maybe we're going maybe we will do the Lou Franceschetti story. Okay. But actually, all kidding aside, might actually be pretty interesting. Yeah, it would be. It and probably on, would be. And on the other topic, uh, Al Raboski, talk about a name from the past. Yep. I, I, you know what? We got to do a show on the best mustaches in professional sports. And uh, Al Raboski, the Mad Hungarian. I mean, I hadn't heard that name in years. And Dennis Maruk had a great one. Lanny McDonald. So, Rolly uh, Fingers. Rolly Fingers. Goose Gossage. Goose Gossage. Yeah. So certainly a topic for another Sparky day. Sparky Lyle. Uh, topic we, for another day. We want to uh, talk about two things uh, to close the show. One is we didn't talk about the uh, Girardi uh, parting the ways with the Yankees. Louis, what do you think of uh, that? I just think it was about time for him to to part ways. I know he, he had some, uh, not some family issues, but he had to do a lot of talking with his family. His boys in his senior year in, in high school right now, and he wants to watch him and uh, and help him succeed in, in the career that he wants to choose. Uh, you know, there, there was a lot of bonehead plays, that I'd like to say, that uh, he made... I'd say probably from July on, uh, but the, but the biggest one was probably the game against Cleveland, and, and again it's it's neither here or there. It was just a situation where I guess he didn't trust his bat catcher Gary Gary Sanchez and what the call was going to be, and uh, it more or less it put everybody on the public eye. Um, what happened there, and uh, his players came back and, and won that series. Uh, they should have won it in four. And if you look back in and even the Houston series. Uh, I think they should have beaten Houston, uh, especially with the relay after sec- in a two-one game. But again, it's maybe he's just worn out his own welcome. The the media, it is a media circus out there, and it is New York. And you, after ten years, you missed the playoffs. Uh, what four years? Yeah, five uh, playoff seasons, and you did win the championship in two thousand nine. I think he's well, in the top five of, all, of managers in the league. He's he 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 did a pretty good job with the Yankees. He, he did, so, yeah. Wally, what do you I think? Ask you, yeah, Louis, you're closer to the uh, to the Yankees than obviously Naz and I are. You follow them. Um, it smacks to me that first of all, I thought that I, I I have a different take on it than you do, Lou. I thought the I thought the Yankees overachieved. They at did. The end, and they and they came within one game of making the the World Series. And if you had a if you had a if you had a uh, push that theory forward. At the beginning of the year, or in May or June, and if somebody would have suggested that the Yankees would have almost made the World Series, I, I think you wouldn't have got very far with that argument. So, that I, to me, it smacks that the Girardi decision was made a long time ago. It, it, um, it was that they made that decision earlier on in the year, and um, because it do, it doesn't make sense to me that you make that decision based on how the Yankees performed. In the last two, three months of the season, 
You um, know, well, it, it probably was, uh, and I think it was probably made once he got into a little bit of an altercation with Gary Sanchez, uh, where he more or less he benched him for a couple of games because, from my take, I think Gary is a great offensive uh, catcher and a great offensive player, but he lacks the skill to be a great defensive uh, catcher, and that's that was Joe Girardi's uh, forte, and he couldn't really buy into it. He, he had some problem also uh, communicating with uh, with the pitchers, and everybody knows it's a young man's game now. And I think Joe is a little bit old school. He, you know, he's, he's a, a son of a, I think, a, an army general, and he probably ran that uh, clubhouse with, a, with an iron fist. But he, with the youth coming in, and as good as the youth were, I think he had a tough time uh, letting go of of being an old school type uh, type of team, and now with the new guy coming in with the analytics and everything, uh, they're just looking for a, a fresh face and probably a fresh voice. Now I want to bring up another subject here: the Vegas team. Vegas uh, <laughs> is eight and one out of the gate. Uh, I want to pose this question to you, and I thought about this: if you were an NHL team currently, would you like to be Vegas in the expansion draft and? Start your team over again with a salary cap and everything and build your team again. Look at the Buffalo Sabres. Would you think they would rather be an expansion team or the Buffalo Sabres? Louis? Uh, you know, it's... With the, with the cap world. In, in the cap world, it again, it's just different times. Obviously, when the Sabres came in, even when the Washington Capitals came in, there wasn't really much to, to choose and pick. Now you're you're talking about right. having uh, 32 teams and and exposing yeah. uh, so many players and you know contracts and a salary cap and uh, let's let's say this why don't they take six teams out make this a 26 team league imagine how good that oh, league's going to be Lou 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 let's get serious okay they're not going to take I know that but I'm just saying imagine the if reason they did why that. I brought this up is I think Vegas is going to make the playoffs I think they're uh, you know what guys. Okay, finish. Uh, no, uh, finish hold, hear me out, Wally. They have a yeah, cap. It's a cap. It's the cap situation. It, it, the cap wasn't there when the expansion of the other teams were there. There's a cap they're now. Not, yeah. They're okay. Not burdened. They're not bought down exactly. They're not burdened with contracts. They can get all the that, good young a, players off of these other teams, one from each team, and start off brand I new. Naz, you make a, you make a very good point. Um, it's it's a very astute point. I agree with you. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. And we got ahead of ourselves a little bit with the Toronto Maple Leafs, okay? You know, now they've come back a little bit to, to you know, they've taken a couple of steps backwards. It, you know, the reality sets in. It's an 82-game schedule. I think we're getting a little carried away with the Las Vegas Knights. They're 8-1. and one. To be quite, quite frank with you, I haven't watched them play yet, so I, I don't even know what they've got on that team. I know they got Flurry and Net, but, you know, he, he's injured now. I've watched but, them play a few times, and they're pretty quick. Pretty quick team. They're quick, and you know, give George McPhee a lot of credit. He sees the winds are blowing. Are they a playoff team? Man, would that ever be in a? I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked that they. Well, get your shock level up because it's going to happen. (laughs) You know what? Well, you know, uh, but your point is, yeah, I I think there's a lot of teams in the middle of the pack uh, that if they could, if they could, if they could clear out their dead wood uh, and start, you know clear out a lot of because what happens over time is you you carry forward and it's a very astute point as i give you credit you're carrying a lot of dead wood a lot of dead salaries that are accomplishing nothing 
Exactly. Like Toronto Maple Leafs are an cut, example. We got of a that. signal from we're, the we're, producer. We're, Sebastian okay. is saying, "Cut, cut." He's going to cut me off okay, here, so. guys. I know the I know the drill. Okay. Everybody, thanks, Louis, for coming in and joining uh, joining us this morning, and um, you have parting shot. Thanks, uh, Naz and Wally. It was a great uh, pleasure talking to you this morning, and have a great time up in uh, northern Michigan, where I know the golf courses are, are spectacular at this time of year. Go Bills, go! This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.